Hi everyone, if you've been following me on Facebook, you know that I have not been able to put out an episode. I caught some weird demonic flu, plague, whatever. I completely lost my voice, so unfortunately I wasn't able to record anything. It's been a very long week because of that. But we're back at her today. It's I want to talk about serial killers. Let's do this. So if you're new here... This is Murder, Mystery, and History. My name's Christy. So I want to talk about Aileen Mornos. And this is notable in the fact that Aileen just had, like, just such a horrible life from beginning to end. And I always ask you to save judgment until the end of the episode. Just so you can get your perspective and you come to your own conclusion. There are very few, there are a couple of episodes where I straight up say this person's an absolute fucking monster. Absolutely, I do say that sometimes. But let's talk about Aileen. So, her mother, Diane Warnos, was 14 years old when she married Aileen's father, 18 year old Leo Dale Pittman. Diana would give birth to Aileen's older brother, Keith, and she would get pregnant again with Aileen. But two months before Aileen was born, less than two years of the marriage, Diane filed for divorce. Aileen was born to a 16-year-old mother. Now, Aileen would never meet her father. He was in prison at the time of her birth. He was also diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he was committed for raping a minor. He would commit suicide in prison. When Wornos was four, her mother would abandon her and her brother, leaving them with their maternal grandparents. Now, well, you probably think leaving somebody with their grandparents is the smart idea, this wasn't. Both of her grandparents were alcoholics. The grandparents would later adopt Keith and Eileen. But here's the thing. Aileen would begin engaging in sexual acts as young as 11 in school, which speaks volumes on what her home life must have been. And she would, in she would perform sexual acts for food, drugs, cigarettes, liquor, anything she wanted. There is a claim she engaged in sexual activity with her older brother, which is disgusting. Now, the thing is, she would also state her alcoholic grandfather would sexually assault and beat her when she was a child. Now, as if this isn't enough, Aileen becomes pregnant at 14. She was raped by a friend of her grandfather's. And this is in the 70s, and this was still a thing. There were these um, places called Homes for Unwed Mothers. And this is an antiquated thought process where 
if a girl found herself pregnant, she would go to this home for nine months and then the baby would be put up for adoption. And this was quite common, actually. You would go back to your family and pretend you never had that baby. Pretend that you, it never existed, that you were just at grandma's house or an aunt's house or whatever. And most commonly, this would be around the time you would start showing. So, Warnos would give birth to a baby boy in 1971. The boy would be adopted out. She would then drop out of school around that time, and then her grandmother would die. Same year, of liver failure. So now, Aileen's 15. Her grandmother's dead. She's gone to this home for unwed mothers. She is likely abusing drugs and alcohol at this point. Her grandfather kicks her out of the house. How does Eileen support herself? She becomes a prostitute and she lives in the woods by her old home. As if none of this breaks as if none of this is disturbing or sad enough that this essentially is the start of her life. So it's 1974 and Aileen is arrested in Colorado for disorderly conduct, firing a 22 caliber pistol and a DUI while she was driving. She never showed up to court, and she would be charged with a failure to appear. 1976. Aileen would hitchhike to Florida. And when she gets to Florida, she meets this yacht club, she meets this yacht club president named Louis Gratz Fell. He was 69 years old. Aileen and Louis would marry. And... The announcement of them getting married was printed in the local newspaper, specifically in the society pages, because he's a yacht club president. That was a big deal. But the thing is, Aileen would constantly involve herself in these giant confrontations at a local bar. And she would end up going to jail, briefly, but she would be charged for assault. Now, she would also end up hitting her husband with his own cane, and he would end up getting a restraining order. Like, within weeks of the marriage, he's got a restraining order against his wife. So at this point, Aileen goes back to Michigan, where on July 14th, 1976, she's arrested and charged with assault and disturbing the peace. And you're probably asking yourself, what did she do? She threw a cue ball at a bartender's head. A cue ball, of all things. Like, I don't know if you've ever picked up a pool ball, but that's heavy. And, like, if you hit somebody right with a, with a pool ball, I could see that being causing either a lot of damage or depending on where on the skull, it could probably kill you. So, the same year. Actually, a couple days after this, pardon me, her brother Keith, Keith will die of esophageal cancer. And the thing is, 
he leaves like $10,000 from his life, life insurance. Not leaves it, but Aileen would get $10,000 back from his life insurance. And at this point, her marriage is annulled only after nine weeks. And in August, she's given a fine for drunk driving. She would use the money from the life insurance to pay the fine. And she would spend the rest of this $10,000 within two months. Like, $10,000 in two months. She would buy a new car, which she would wreck. And just little luxuries. Which is, I mean... Look at the value of $10,000 in 1976 to today... It's, a, it's almost $50,000 because of inflation. So that's, that's a lot. And I mean, quite frankly, this is bizarre that she would just, well, it's not bizarre, but she blew through $10,000 within two months. It's 1978. Aileen Wood is 22 at this time and she attempts suicide. The sad thing here is, between the ages of 14 and 22, she has tried to kill herself six times. It's 1981, May 20th. Aileen is in Florida, and she's arrested. For what you asked? For armed robbery of a convenience store. But the thing is, it's not even like... She stole thousands of dollars... She would steal $35 and two packs of cigarettes. That's it. Like, if you're going to steal something, like, go big or go home, I guess. I, I don't know. We shouldn't steal. But she would end up being sentenced to prison on May 4th, 1982. And she'd be released June 30th, 1982. Or 1983, pardon me. Not 1982, pardon me. So it's 1984. Aileen is arrested. She's been forging checks. It's 1985. She's named as a suspect in the theft of guns and ammunition. And it's just like she can't stay out of trouble. She just can't. It's like her whole life she's just been in trouble. So it's 1986. Aileen's in Miami. She ends up getting charged with car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice because she falsifies her name to police officers. Now the thing is, when she's arrested, police officers will find a 38 caliber revolver and a box of ammunition in a stolen car that she was driving when they arrested her. It's 1986, June 2nd. Deputy sheriffs will detain Warnos for questioning after this man accuses her of pulling a gun in his car and demanding money. So they find out that Eileen's carrying spare ammunition and they discover a 22 pistol under the passenger seat she was in. And it's like 
at what point do you sit there and say, like, I need to change my life? So, it's 1986, and this turns out to be the year that changes everything for Aileen. So she's 30, and she meets 24-year-old Tyria Moore, and it's a hotel maid. It's a hotel maid, pardon me. She's a hotel maid at a gay bar called Zodiac. The pair will end up moving in together, and Eileen will support them with her earnings as a prostitute. So, Aileen is afraid of losing Tyria. That is something that is very important for you to remember. So now she's supporting her and Tyria while she's prostituting. And it's 1987, July 4th. Aileen gets detained by police. And Tyria's with her. And they're detained because they're questioning her about an incident of assault and battery with a beer bottle. So, it's March 12th now, 1988. Aileen will accuse a Daytona Beach driver of assault. She'll claim that he pushed her off the bus, they had this whole confrontation, and he just pushes her off. And Tyria Moore is the witness to the incident. Now, when Aileen, Aileen talks about Tyria... She's so enthralled with her. She loves her more than anything in the world. Quote, It was love beyond imaginable. Earthly words cannot describe how I feel about Tyria. She would claim to her dying day that she was still in love with Tyria no matter what. So, this is kind of the background story leading up to the murders. You can see that it just, it's every six months, every couple of months, Aileen is getting detained. She's getting questioned. There's, it's just everything. So, November 30th, 1989. Richard Charles Mallory, age 51. This is considered to be Eileen's first victim. And she'll claim to have killed him in self-defense. She'll say that Mallory beat, raped, and sodomized her after he would drive her to an abandoned area so there were no witnesses. And it actually became known that Mallory had been convicted for attempted rape prior. So... On December 13th, his body would be found several miles away in a wooden, wooded area. He'd been shot numerous times, and he would have two bullets right to the left lung. This is what killed him. And it's interesting enough, two days after he died, his car would be found. But it would take till December 13th to find his body. David Andrew Spears, 47. He was actually missing as of May 19th, 1990. And so he was listed as a missing person and nobody really knows what happened until June 1st, 1990. 
his naked body would be found on Route 19 in Florida. And he had been shot six times with a 22 pistol. Charles Edmund Karsakadoan is age 40 and he's a part-time rodeo worker. So he was murdered May 31st, 1990. He wasn't found until June 6, 1990. He had been shot nine times with a 22 caliber weapon. And the thing is, his body was wrapped in electric in an electric blanket and was badly decomposing. So you have to think, I'm not from Florida. I don't know where or how the temperature works there. I imagine it's a very warm place. So when bodies decompose, when we talk about badly decomposing, in terms of heat will speed up decomposition and an electric blanket was it turned on when he was wrapped up in it that'll speed up decomposition and heat so when they say badly decomposing I have a pretty good idea of how badly decomposing that was in so it's interesting to note that witnesses would see Wernos in possession of Karsakadin's car and she had also pawned a gun that belonged to him. Interesting. So Peter Abraham Seams. He's 65. He's a retired seaman. So he would leave Jupiter, Florida in June 1990 for Arkansas. His car was found in Orange Springs, Florida on July 4th, 1990. Witnesses would say that Warnos and Tyria abandoned the car together. It's interesting to note that Warnos's palm print was found on the interior door handle. But here's the interesting part. Peter's body was never found. We don't know what happened to the body. There's no body. He is presumed dead. So, Troy Eugene Burris, he's age 50, and he's a sausage salesman from Florida. He was reported missing July 31st, 1990. On August 4th, his body was found. He had been shot twice. Charles Richard Humphrey, age 56. And this is one murder that I find very interesting why he was murdered. So he's a retired U.S. US Air Force major, and he's actually a former state child abuse investigator. And you know what else he was? A former chief of police. Like, he's all the things that, I guess, Aileen would have hated. He was murdered September 11th, 1990. His body was found within 24 hours. He was fully clothed and he'd been shot six times. He had been shot in the head and the torso. And his car was found, like, but nobody had seen the car being abandoned. And when I say 
he would have been somebody that Eileen would have hated. So, he was a former child abuse investigator. She probably would have hated that, that because she was a child abuse survivor and nobody saved her. And here's somebody who could have saved her. There might have been resentment. And a former chief of police. Because of all the trouble she got in throughout the years, she probably would have hated that. But this is all speculation on my part. Walter Gino Antonio, age 62. He was a trucker, security guard, and reserve police officer. So, he had been shot four times. On November 19th, 1980, his nearly naked body was found on a near remote logging road. And then five days later, his, found, his car would be found in a different county. So, by 1990, Tyria Moore had become suspicious of what Aileen was up to. And she would end up moving in with her family in Pennsylvania. And Eileen was arrested on an outstanding warrant. And police at this point would track down Tyria and ask her to help get a confession from Aileen. Now, the thing is, there, Aileen left a lot of evidence where she went. So, a little backtracking here. On July 4th, Aileen Tyria would abandon Peterson's car after they were involved in an accident. Someone witnessed the accident and provided police the description of the two women. That's how they found Eileen. That's how they tracked down Tyria. They would also find the victim's items in pawn shops. And one of the fingerprints that Eileen left on a receipt at one of the pawn shops matched the print that was left in Peter Sims' car. And you're probably asking yourself, well, how did they have Aileen's fingerprints? She's a convicted felon. Samples of her prints were in a database that they would use to track. So, when Aileen is arrested on this outstanding warrant, police would track down Tyria Moore. So, Moore would return to Florida from Pennsylvania because she had gone back to Pennsylvania into her family's home. So the police would put Tyria Moore into this hotel room and she would make around 11 calls to Aileen Mornos. Now, you're probably asking yourself... Why did Tyria agree to make these calls? Total and complete immunity. Which in itself shows that she had some knowledge of what Aileen was doing. And had some knowledge, not only having some knowledge, that she was okay with it. She knew what was going on. She didn't say anything to the police. That's what her saying total and complete immunity. So she makes these 11 calls and she's frantic and she's terrified. She's telling Eileen, I don't want to be charged for the murders. What am I going to do? They're trying to pin this on me. 
Aileen says, quote, you're innocent. I'm not going to let you go to jail. Listen, if I have to confess, I will. And on January 16th, Aileen confessed. Quote, I don't want more to get messed up for something I did. I know I'm going to miss her for the rest of my life. So she's admitted to these murders on January 16th, 1991. She would claim all of these murders are in self-defense. These men tried to rape her and she killed them. January 14th, 1992. Aileen's on trial for the murder of Richard Charles Mallory. Now, remember how Mallory was convicted of sexual assault prior? Well, normally under Florida's court system, it's inadmissible to add prior crimes to the, to the testimony, but the prosecution was allowed to introduce the evidence that he did have that the murder victim Charles Richard Charles Mallory was convicted of sexual assault now here's where it gets actually really sad January 17th 1992 Aileen is convicted of Mallory's murder with the help of Tyria Moore's testimony Tyria actually appeared as a key witness against Eileen in court and she wouldn't even maintain eye contact with Aileen during the court hearing Tyria Moore wouldn't even pay her a visit in jail like Aileen would always talk about how in love she was with Tyra but it seemed that was very one-sided and Tyria would just smash Aileen's heart into a million pieces so, when she was sentenced, they had court-ordered psychiatrists just to see if she was able to be sentenced properly. I understand that she wasn't, like, so mentally ill, but here's what the court-appointed psychiatrist had to say about Eileen Mordos. She was mentally unstable. She had borderline personality disorder. She had antisocial personality disorder. So, her sentence commutes to death. And during her trial, made no contest to the murders of Charles Richard Humphrey, Troy Eugene Burris, and David Andrew Spears. She would state, quote, she wanted to get right with God, end quote. She would also say, quote, I wanted to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me, as I've told you, but these others did not. They only began to start to, end quote. So, it's May 15th, 1992. Aileen's given three more death sentences. In June of 1992, Aileen will plead guilty to the murder of Charles Edward Karsakadin, and later on in the year, in November, she would receive her fifth death sentence. It's 1993 now, in February. Aileen pleads guilty to the murder of Walter Gino Antonio. She's sentenced to death again. 
However, what's interesting to note is there were no charges brought against her for the murder of Peter Abraham Seams, as his body wasn't found. They have no idea where the body is. That's why she didn't get charged. In total, Aileen has six death sentences. Now, when she's confessing to the killings, it's pretty inconsistent. She'll claim initially all seven men had raped her while she was prostituting, but then she'll recant to the claim of self-defense. Then she'll say she's just robbing them and didn't want to have a witness left, so she murdered them. And the thing is, there were several interviews with her, and there was a filmmaker named Nick Bromfield, and he was interviewing Eileen, and when she thought the camera was off, she would state to him that it was self-defense. But she couldn't, she couldn't stand being on death row. She'd been there for 10 years at that point. She just wanted it to be over. So... Here we have somebody who says it's self-defense. Then she says it's a robbery gone wrong. Then she says, no, wait, it was self-defense. But then you have her state she just wants to die. So there's a psychopathy checklist that they actually used on Eileen. And the cutoff score for that is 30, determining psychopathic tendencies. And this will evaluate individuals on a 20-item list of like antisocial and interpersonal behaviors. And it goes from 0 to 2. Well, pardon me, it goes from 0 to 40. So the cutoff score is 30. Aileen scored 32 out of 40. That's incredibly high. Incredibly. So she would appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court and be denied. Her first appeal was in 1996. She appealed again in 2001. She would state, I killed those men, robbed them cold as ice, and I'd do it again too. There's no chance of keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I'm so sick of hearing this she's crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, I'm sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm the one who seriously hates human life and would kill again, end quote. Her attorneys would argue that, no, she's crazy. Why would she say that? But Aileen would state she knew what she was doing. She'd do it again. So in 2002... She's still at the Florida State Prison. Aileen starts accusing the workers there of tainting her food with anything she could think of. Dirt, saliva, urine. And she would state that prison personnel, quote, trying to get me so pushed over the brink that I'd wind up committing suicide before the execution and wishing to rape me before execution. End quote. And she would just complain of strip searches, door kicking, frequent window checks, anything. Cat calling, tight handcuffing. It got to the point where she was complaining about low water pressure. And depending on who was working that day, Aileen would boycott showers and food. 
because she thought people were trying to poison her. And so it's weeks before her execution. And that filmmaker that we were talking about quite earlier, she's telling him, quote, being taken away to meet God and Jesus and the angels and whatever's beyond the beyond. So, end quote. It's her final interview, and she once again states that she's being tortured. There's sonic pressure, people are torturing her purposely, her food's getting poisoned, and, her, and everything's getting worse for her, she says. She also states to the interview, quote, You sabotaged sabotaged my ass society and the cops and the system a rape woman got executed and was used for books and movies and shit end quote her final on camera words quote thanks a lot society for railroading my ass end quote so that alone perhaps she was getting scared of the end Maybe she thought she was poisoned. This is so, this is such a multifaceted thing that there isn't one right answer. It's October 9th, 2002. Aileen's being told you can have anything under $20 for your final meal. She just wants coffee. Her last words prior to final injection, quote, Yes, I would like to say I'm sailing with the rock. Now I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. End quote. She would die at 9.47 a.m. She was, she was, at the time, the second woman in Florida to be executed. Since 1976. So, after she had been executed, her body was cremated. And a childhood friend asked to have her cremated remains. And she had a little funeral for Aileen. And she her, her cremated remains were scattered beneath a tree. And that's Aileen's story. And it's it's such a multifaceted story because there's no right or wrong answer as to why Aileen was the way she was. There are many factors that play into it. Mental health is one of the things that played into it for her. But her childhood played another part into it for her. And it's just... It, her story is just literally very depressing if you look at it as a whole. She had a crappy childhood. Crappy being the best word I can use. She had, a, she had a horrible childhood, let's be honest. She was sexually assaulted. And when she finally thinks she meets the love of her life, the love of her life turns on her. And she'd state till her very dying day that she loved Tyria more more than anything else. The best phrase I can ever get is if you share the podcast with a friend. And you're probably asking yourself, well, where can I tell them to go? 
So you can always follow me on Spotify, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, CastBox, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. So, this was Eileen's story. If there is a murder you want me to talk about, if there is some obscure history you want me to talk about, or just some really crazy, weird mystery, I'd love to hear it. You can follow me on Facebook, Murder, Mystery, and History. Same profile picture as this podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter, Murder, Mystery, and History. Same profile picture as this podcast. And if you're feeling a little shy, we all do sometimes, right? You can email me at Murder, Mystery, and History at gmail.com. Until we meet again.